0: So when Dan talked to me a few weeks ago about speaking, he said last week he was going to speak on Acts 28, so I joked and he said, well, I could speak on Acts 29, and some of you, you know, that kind of goes along with first hesitations and second opinions, there's really not such things in the Bible at all, so, but the term Acts 29 came about, seemingly back in the 60s and 70s when... People start using that term, and they want to communicate express the desire that they want to be part of the continuing story of the early church. They want to indicate the story didn't end at Acts 28. We still want to be part of it today. And we are living in Acts 29. But how shall we live? how shall we live in a pluralistic society with a view which views the church as rather outdated, irrelevant, and intolerant? How shall we live? Now, thankfully, around the same time that we see the end of Acts 28, one of the main characters of Acts, Peter, he writes the book to a group of people in what would be in modern-day Turkey, who is facing a lot of troubles and persecutions. And basically, you could entitle that book How to Live in a Pluristic Society and Make a Difference, because these people, like ourselves, though in grey had a far worse situation than ourselves, but Peter wanted to encourage them, you can live in a pluralistic society. And you can make a difference. Now, the book of First Peter, like many of the letters in the New Testament, are divided into two parts. There's kind of that first section of theological, explaining things like who we are in Christ and who God is. And then this the practical part. You know, for years, I used to kind of want to jump to the practical part. We like practical things. It's do it with well, not, spend too much time on the theology, but I've come to understand it's really knowing who we are in Christ and who, who God is that's really going to make a difference on how we live out, the rest of the books. If we don't have that foundation, we are going to go here and there and not really live out too much so peter in his book begins by telling the christians and i'm not going to spend a lot of time on who we are today i know i'm probably becoming known for speaking on our identity in christ but that's all right but i'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today but paul does peter 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 does remind them in the in the first chapter in verse three That because of God's great mercy, he has given them new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They have a living hope. And then if we jump into chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and again, a whole message and many messages could be spoken on. These verses, and I encourage you to just to meditate on these verses this week. First Peter chapter two verses nine and ten, because they describe who we are in this world. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We are here to declare the praises of God. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So as we engage the world around us, know that you are God's special possession. The world around us may not think much of you, but you are his treasure possession. You are his nation, his chosen people. But now let's look at where I want to really focus in on this more, On this 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And it's really a summary of the rest of the book. And the verses read, 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation or on the day he visits us. Even in these verses, Peter situates us He reminds us who we are. He uses these terms foreigners and exiles. And different translations use other words like sojourners, aliens. Think of yourself as an alien from Mars, eh? But strangers, pilgrims, refugees, we've just heard mentioned. Peter says, see yourself like this. And these two terms mean relatively the same thing. Basically, it speaks of one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the nationals. Someone who lives close to others as a temporary dweller. Abraham uses both these words in Genesis 23, his beloved wife Sarah has died, and he needs a place to bury her. And he speaks to the locals. He says, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site, a burial site so I can bury my dad. And the Hittites, who were the local people, replied to him, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dad in the choicest of tombs. None of us will refuse you the tomb for burying your dad. He saw himself as a stranger, as a <clears throat> foreigner, even though he lived among these people. They knew him well. He was part he lived among them and worked among them. Back in the way back now in the nineteen eighties I had the privilege of spending three great years in Kentucky. I went to school there as did the, as did Catherine did later on as well. And it was, you know, it was a good time. I got to know a number of people from the United States and being part of a local church there, I met some of the local people and worked in the van ministry, saw how Saw kind of the poverty of the world there, as well as the richness of the the world there. But I was always, deep down, aware of the fact that Wilmore, Kentucky was not my home. I knew I was only there for a time. And though I appreciated my time there, I knew I was coming back to Canada. I knew that I was a Canadian, and I would be back here. Indeed, in Hebrews 11, verse 3, all the saints from Abel to Jacob, it says, admitted that they were foreigners on strangers on this earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Peter reminds his readers that they have an inheritance. His citizenship, as Paul says, is in heaven. That doesn't mean, as we see with Abraham, that we isolate ourselves from those around us. Certainly, as I said, Abraham had alliances with his neighbors. But it's a recognition in our lives that this life, this world, is not be-all and end-all. Our lives aren't to be shaped by the society in which we live and work each day. We are to be shaped by whose we are, God, and who we are, his children, and by our destination, our homeland, heaven. Our time here is very Temporary. this doesn't mean that we're just waiting around, as they say, waiting for the next bus to go out. We're not just twitting our thumbs kind of waiting, well, for the bot sweep by and by. We are here, Peter says, to make a difference. We are in this world as God's special possession to make a difference in the people's lives around us. On the basis of seeing ourselves as temporary citizens, I should say temporary dwellers, Peter tells us that this will affect how we live our lives in the here and now. <clears throat> He says, we will affect people's lives because we are good. Because we are good. He puts it in a different way. Because we don't do certain things. Now I know that people of my era, and older and a bit younger, saw a fair bit some legalism in the church, in the evangelical church. And you know what? Sometimes we really step back when wanting to talk about the commands of God and <coughs> don't cough when you have a microphone on. <laughs> sometimes we want to step back and just really preach grace, and it is all grace, assure, I assure you of that. But as my oldest son, who's 23, says, Dad, my generation didn't come under that kind of stuff. They don't need to hear just grace. They need to hear that God is calling them to holiness. You know, and Paul, Peter, I should say here, Paul does it too. Peter says to the church, he says to us, Abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Already in chapter 1, verse 14, he said, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You know, before we come to Christ, it's not uncommon to just follow the way we feel. This feels right, right? Let's do it. Everyone else is doing it. must be the way. Let's go after it. What seems good? Do it. In a sense, we pattern our lives by how we felt. But Peter says, do not conform to your evil desires. Abstain from them. Keep away from them. Avoid them. And Peter writes what we call in grammar... What we call the present tense so it means it keeps con- it means continually abstain continually keep away from them because these desires wage against our that spiritual part of us the soul <coughs> make no mistake about it sinful desires when indulging, where it will weaken your walk with God, sinful desires when indulged in will weaken your relationship with God. abstain from them. The fact that he the fact that Peter says this in some ways it can be encouraging because he acknowledges that as true believers, we still can struggle with evil desires. And I remind you of that this morning because maybe somebody's here this morning and the devil's been telling you, how could you be a Christian and think like that? How could you have such evil desires and say that you are a follower of Christ? Just because you have the desires or you're struggling with them does not mean that you're not God's child. But he says, abstain from them. Because he also wants us to know, as Paul tells us in Romans 6, that we don't need to let sin reign in a mortal body so that we obey evil desires. Through Christ, the power of sin has been broken. Paul says in Titus 2, for so the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, and the it is really speaking of Christ, what he's doing in us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We're just not waiting for the by and by when we get new bodies in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Jesus came to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. And the good news is that the grace in Christ is available to you this morning, this week to say no to the, the to say no to evil desires. Peter in his second letter will reinforce that when he says that God's power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You may be struggling with evil desires right now. You may be struggling with sin. But hold out the hope that grace is there for you. God can give you victory. He can bring deliverance. How shall we live in a pluralistic society and make a difference? By being good. By being good. Thank you, Kevin. In this world, we are to be known as good. Now, in this day and age, you know, it's, people don't like to be known as goody-two-shoes. You know, they don't want to, oh, you're the good guy, you're the good girl. We don't, see, that's almost like a put-down to be known as good. And Peter says, they on the, in the book, in chapter 4, verse 4, that people will strengthen Think of you as strange that you no longer join them in their reckless, wild living. We may be teased. We may be ridiculed. We may be put down. We may even be excluded from some things by our colleagues because we are good. But we cannot escape this if we will be true to our calling. We are not just part of the crowd. We are God's people. We are his nation. We are different. And as much as we'd like to fit in at times with other people, at work or maybe in our families or wherever we are, we must always remember that we are different. We are God's people. We are good. Because the life of Jesus, who is good, the life of God, who is so good, is in us. and that we live it out, oh, it's just who we are. We are good. The early church, in, th- in spite of the fact that they were good, were accused of many things. They were accused of being given to a new and mischievous superstition. They were accused of cannibalism, of eating the flesh of the children in the meetings when they celebrate the Lord's Supper. They were accused of incest because they called one another brother and sister and professed love for one another. They were accused of being unpatriotic and disloyal because they didn't follow the state religion. They didn't sacrifice to the local gods and they didn't participate in religious festivals. They were seen as scapegoats for the problems of society, be it famines or floods or other disasters. After all, they weren't doing what the rest of the people were doing. That must be why things, bad things were happening. Now, the accusations against us as Christians today may be rather different from that. But if we are abstaining from evil, the evil desires of the flesh, we can be assured that accusations, put-downs, Will come to us in one form or another, but in spite of what the world says to us, we are good. We are good. And the life of God wants to, in us wants to come out in that goodness. He wants us, though, not just to victory over the evil desires. He wants to display his goodness to the world around us in our good deeds, in practical ways. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says, in a, good, a believer's good deeds can bring unbelievers to God. He says they will praise him on the day of God's visitation. Now, in the New Testament, the way the word glorify is used, it refers, it doesn't refer to unbelievers. They don't glorify God. It's believers that glorify God. So the fact that they will glorify God when God visits speaks that they have become believers. Good deeds... Can bring open people's hearts to considering Christ and fall in Him. Good deeds involve helping out those in need. You see, in the early church, Tabitha she helped the poor and the widows by making clothes. Paul tells in Timothy for. Those of riches, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to share. I invite you to ask the Lord to open your eyes to the needs of your colleagues at work tomorrow, of your neighbors around you this afternoon, of family members who don't yet know him, and to ask him to show you what are their needs. How might you bless them with good deeds? Maybe you've seen a need in the community that's greater than you or any one person can meet. Ask others here if they'd like to join you in meeting that need. As believers, we want to be known not just that we are good, but that we do good deeds. Peter, however, takes good deeds to a new level, or another level at least. He says it's not just about actions, but it's also about attitudes and words. For Peter, if we continue on in this chapter, we see that doing good involves showing respect for those in authority. He speaks of honoring the emperor. Again, a present tense, not just a one-shot deal. We are called to keep doing it. And as you may think that some of our leaders aren't the, the cream of the crop. You can look at the emperors of the Roman Empire... And they, they look good, our leaders, in comparison. But Peter says, honor the emperor. We may not like who is in power or the laws the governments enact. But Peter says that does not give us permission to bash our leaders. Does not give us the right to say, well, I'm not going to obey this law because I don't like it. He says we're called to respect our political leaders, to obey the laws to the extent that they do not break God's laws. In doing so, we are doing good. Have you ever written a politician and thanked them for their public service? I know I haven't. How do you think they might feel if we said thank you? Paul, Peter goes on to speak of work and relationships, relationships in the home, how wives can win their unbelieving husbands without words, by their behavior. He then speaks of when people do bad things to us, against us. What do we do? Do we try to see if we can have a good comeback? Do we try to figure out how we can get back at them? Not only are we to abstain from speaking bad of them, Peter, and thinking back to Jesus, says we are to bless them. Our response to bad things around us, to evil, is to bless. First Peter 3, nine: do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. We are to speak a good word about those who put us down. We speak a good word to those who put us down. A few weeks ago, Dan mentioned this book he has been reading called The Grace Outpouring, where this community in southwest Wales, remarkable things is happening. God is doing truly amazing things over the past, I think, about 15 years. But one of the things these community of people at this retreat center are doing, they're speaking... Words of blessing over the people in the community, over the local churches, over the local businessness. And it reminds me of a verse in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. The people of Judah were sent into exile, into Babylon. They longed to be back in their homeland, but God tells them to settle down. And live life. And he adds, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. We do good deeds by blessing our community, by praying God's blessing on it. We may not agree with things that are happening in our community, some things, but we can bless people. For example, we could pray something like this. I bless you, Perth, in the name of Jesus. I bless you that you might, you the citizens, might know the knowledge of God and who God created you to be. I bless you. This community, that it might prosper, that there might be employment that is good. I bless this community. I bless the leaders that they might have wisdom in their dealings and counsel. I bless the churches that the Word of God may be preached and that the Spirit of God might have liberty to move. And we can go on and on. We can criticize what's happening in the world around us, in our community. But God calls us to be people of blessing. How do we live in a, in a holistic society and make a difference? I'm not saying we never write letters to a government. I'm not saying that we should not march do marches before parliament hill i 'm not saying we shouldn 't speak out when governments bring in unjust laws or unethical laws, but we don 't want that to be what we 're known for us most, but what we don 't like by our criticisms we want to be the people of God who are known because We are good. And like a father, so like daughter and son, we do good. We do good deeds. We are the children of God. In essence, God is good. And as we live like him, we will see people drawn to him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you speak to us and drop people's names into our hearts and show us good deeds we might do in their lives. Show us, we ask. We thank you, Father, for the grace you poured out in Christ Jesus. And we just say, continue to bring forth your goodness within us. That as you have blessed us with your goodness, that we might be a blessing to those around us. Amen.